0: good morning and welcome to University Heights United Methodist Church we want to welcome newcomers those watching us live and our radio congregation on WICR I'm Susan Hancock your program director our pastor is David Newen. our liturgist this morning is Jim Coy and Mary Lynn Winslow will be doing our children's moment The altar flowers today are in honor of Clark Wilson for his birthday on August 11th, and are a gift of his grandmother, Sharon Wilson. Happy early birthday, Clark. Next Saturday is our drive-through community lunch starting at 11.30, so please join us for this free event. All are welcome, always great food. We are collecting school supplies during the month of August for our children's center, Sunday school classes, and School 65. So if you're out shopping and want to put a few of those extra things in your cart, please do, and we'll be glad to take those items. Our Children's Center garage sale is still coming up August 27th through the 29th, so if you have treasures you'd like to donate, please bring those to the church. And I hope you've joined me in praying while you wash your hands for 20 seconds. Keep it up. Prayer is powerful. Please stand now as you're able and greet one another with God's peace, as our social distancing allows.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: God is good all the time and all the time God is good. You know, one of the benefits of wearing masks is right now I imagine all of you with the widest grins. You may be grimacing under there, but to me, it looks like you're filled with joy today. And I hope that be, is the case as we worship together. Uh, we are grateful for the things that God is doing in our life. Even in the midst of struggle and trial, God is faithful, and we come to offer God praise for those good gifts. Uh, Lord, Be with us as we enter our space of worship today. Um, Overcome any uh, feelings of fatigue, any feelings of confusion, any hurt or heartache. Uh, Lord God, renew us in your strength. Renew us in your promise. Renew us in your life. Thank you, Lord God, for the freedom to be in this space. For the opportunity to read your good word to sing of your faithfulness, and to preach of your inclusiveness. Be with us now, Lord. (laughs) Give us rest. Give us renewal. Give us faith. We do pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: Please stand if you're able <clears throat> for the call of worship. Here in this place, God welcomes all the dreamers as well as the doubters. Dear worries and wonders, and call God by name. Here in this time, we can remember all the ways God has graced us. Here is gathered the family of Christ called to do the unthinkable, to listen to the other side, show mercy, and love beyond limits.
4: Him praise, blessed be the tie that binds.
3: Please join me in the opening prayer. God of family, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of all our ancestors, grandparents and parents, you teach us to love through relationships. We experience the blessing of family as loved ones help us to mature and grow. We use your faithfulness through the witness of, the, of those who have raised us to know you. Thank you, Lord, for the give, gift of family. Forgive us of our harm and neglect toward family. Heal us in the wounds of family. Reconcile us to the family we have cast aside, and strengthen us to be who know us to be in the midst of family. And make, make us, us to know, know that we never failing fail in love For us and all people whom we shall call family. Amen. Please join me in the affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit
2: seated. As, uh, as my, my son and daughter were returning to school this week, uh, meeting their teachers for the first time, I uh, started to think a bit about some of the teachers that had been influential to me and some of the characteristics that, that made them um, such an influence. Of course, some of my teachers were extremely creative in thinking of ways to get the students involved and sharing of their ideas. Some were very challenging. Now, maybe at the time, I, uh, I didn't necessarily see that as a benefit. Uh, but looking back, I can see how they helped me to grow, helped me to ask difficult questions, uh, saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself. Uh, some of them were very compassionate. Um, they could meet the students uh, not only academically, but also what they were struggling with in life and um, making them feel like they had purpose and worth. Um, As you can see, my list is a lot of Cs. That's not because it was my grades. I was a good student, but those were just the words. So as I was on the C theme, I wanted to say kooky, but that sounds with a K, I think. So I'll go um, personalities between charming and crazy. Uh, Some teachers just have this exuberance. They make you laugh. They make you question what is wrong with this person, but you remember them because their personality was so striking. This year, to add to the C-list, though, as we think about our teachers, we must add also courageous for uh, their willingness to serve in situations of, uh, of risk as they risk themselves in the ways that they teach in new ways as they try to adapt to challenging times. It's not that teachers haven't been courageous for years, but in a unique way, in a unique season, they bring much courage to their work. And so um, I invite you to pray over teachers, giving thanks for those that you continue to remember from 40, 50, 60 years ago that impacted you, uh, as we pray for teachers that give of themselves now. Uh, each year we bless students' backpacks. We, we lay hands on... Uh, the, the gifts of their school supplies as a way of saying, Lord, uh, watch over and work through these students and all their tools uh, to bring them to a place of success and, uh, and new wisdom and, uh, and greater relationships. So again, we pray over the, the crayons, the pencils, uh, the paper, the scissors that they will use. But we also pray over the other tools that are integral to them being part of a community, and whether they're meeting online or in person, uh, we pray for students and all that they must consider uh, to learn this year. So will you join me as we pray for our courageous teachers, our bold students, as they begin another school year? Loving and gracious God, we thank you for those whom you've called to offer themselves To teach young and old, to inspire new ideas, but also to build up strong character for those who, through their work, help to develop skills for life in young men and women. We pray, Lord God, for those who are teaching this fall, uh, for those who are in leadership overseeing the start of school years. For those who are contributing to the safe space of meeting an in in-person school, whether they work in the hallways, in the office, in the cafeteria, we pray for your blessing and protection over each of them. We pray for he- health. We pray for safety from harm. We pray for perseverance and patience as we adapt to school, which is all new. And we pray, Lord God, for those students that they would be receptive to all that they hear, that they would be uh, willing to um, embrace school in the new way, continuing to make friends, participate in activities, but realizing that life has changed. We pray, Lord God, for those that battle against disparity in schools, those that don't have the resources they need, those that don't have a good breakfast before school, those that come from places of of violence and unrest and then are expected to learn. We pray, Lord God, that you would overcome any obstacles, including perhaps even a mask, that makes students have a hard time becoming who you've called them to be. Uh, We trust, though, Lord God, in your care and your provision in all things. Bless this school year in person, online. Draw us to a greater awareness of ourself and hopefully also, Lord, a greater awareness of you and your great love for us. We do pray in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen.
3: The Old Testament lesson today is taken from the 37th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 28. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years of age, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Badiah and Zahab, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to, the, to, his, <clears throat> to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now his brothers went to the pasture to pasture their father's flock near Shishim. And Israel said to Joseph, Are you not your brother's pastor? Are not your brothers pasturing the, the flock at Shujam? And come, and I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he sent him. Go see. Excuse me. Go now see if it, if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring back word to me. And so he sent him from the valley of Abram, He came to Shepsham, and a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away. For I have heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from a distance and before he came near to them they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Comes come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these one of the pits. Then we can say that a wild animal has devoured him and we shall see what Will become of his dreams. When Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of the hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to the brothers, They stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he had worn, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to egypt then joseph said to his brothers excuse me judah said to his brothers what is it profit us that we kill our brother and conceal his blood come now let's sell him to these ishmaelites and lay him not and lay not hands on him for he is our brother our own flesh And his brothers agreed, and when some Mennonite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pits, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they took him to Egypt. Bless the word of our Father. It's Winslow.
5: Well, boys and girls, big and small, some of us can see this probably a little bit better than others, but Miss Christie's helping me. I wanted to talk with you about. Maybe times when you have been hurt and um, maybe somebody hurt your feelings really bad. Somebody didn't want to play with you on the playground. Um, and so this, the saying goes, is we have a broken heart. Well, the, the theme of today's worship service is, is getting along with people and how do we, how could we heal? A broken heart if we are Christians and so I'm thinking one of the things that Miss um, Vicki or Miss uh, Susan has been talking to us about is every time we wash our hands we should pray well I would encourage you that every time you use a band-aid that would be a good way to heal something so if you take a band-aid and we put this on our heart this one says that we could be understanding of one another so that's one way to heal a broken heart and another one would be to offer forgiveness if someone hurts you let's offer some forgiveness let's not strike out and be angry back let's be forgiving Of course, we could love others. That's a good way to to start to mend our broken heart. Even when someone hurts us, we can still love them back. It's hard, but it does work. It's possible. One way that lots of us in our church um, try to mend broken hearts of those people in our community is because we serve others. So think about that. We can serve others and that is a good way, whoops, to begin to mend a broken heart. We serve others in our church by working in the bibs pantry. We serve others by um, serving at Fletcher Place. So lots of different ways. And when we serve others, of course, we are caring for others. So that's, that's a good way to do that. Oops, I dropped that one. I need my kids up here to help me today. Sometimes when things are really bad, we, um, you might've heard on the news that there were some demonstrations. So um, one thing we could do is we could strive for justice for all people. And so justice is a way that we could um, try to bring that broken heart And of course one of the most important things we can do is that we can pray for one another so there are people who have less than we do there are people who their minds and their hearts are not the same as ours so let's pray for them and hope that we can help them to um, understand and be kind and um, overcome their difficulties and the hymn that we read saying just a little bit ago the blessed be the tie that binds it talks about bear each other's burdens and that is a really good way to help heal broken hearts that's one thing a christian could do would be to bear another's burdens which means that we understand what they are going through and we try to help take that difficulty away from them and The other thing that the hymn talked about, we should have kindred minds, and that means that we should, as Christians, think alike. We should read our Bible, we should study, we should think alike and have a kindred mind, because indeed, we are all God's children. All of us are God's children, and that's what I want you to remember. So the next time you fall and skin your knee and you pull out a band-aid, do me a favor and just remember to pray for those who might have a broken heart in our world today. Thank you very much, and I can't wait to see you all back here in, Sunday, or in uh, worship with us, and that day will come sometime soon, I know. Have a good day.
1: Thank you.
2: Well, thank you to Mary Lynn for sharing your band-aids of healing, and uh, to our singers for their lyrics of healing this morning. We're going to think about family. Family's a funny thing. F- in family, we can find some of the uh, the greatest blessings. Um, I hope that you have experienced, on some part, a home of safety and nurture. Family ties us to a story, right? It helps connect us to a history. It tells us who we are, where we belong. We learn from our family certain values, certain worldview. I would hope family brings to us encouragement and support, helping us to become who God's called us to be. In family, we can find joy and laughter. How has family to you been a blessing? How do you love your family? And those same people, those same lovely people, are the ones that drive us nuts. They are the ones that bring stress and frustration, our family. We assume family will share similar perspectives, ideas with us. They'll make similar judgments on most important things in life. We have certain expectations of trust and closeness towards family. But when disagreement erupts, when we feel hurt or betrayed, that wound that is carved is so deep when it's family. And it lingers, you know, that unresolved conflict in family until we are unbending in our bitter opinion of that other person. When has family damaged you? The best and worst of family is captured in some of these quotes. Never judge someone by their relatives, Charles Martin says. Raising a kid is part joy and part guerrilla warfare, says Ed Asner. Happiness, it's having a loving, large, caring, close-knit family that lives in another city. (laughs) That's That's George Burns. Like all parents, my husband and I do the best we can, hold our breath, and hope, and set aside money. To pay for our family therapy, says Michelle Pfeiffer. It was the very best of times and the worst of times in Joseph's family today. Joseph's family, Jacob, had settled in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as an alien. That's the first verse. And behind that statement is a vast sweeping tale of generations. We remember the immigration of Abraham to a promised. But unknown land, and then the struggle to secure a foothold in that new land by his son Isaac, and then the fulfillment of that promise a new people in a new place lived into by Jacob. And now Joseph and his brothers inherit this rich heritage of God's faithfulness and call moving through his family. We would expect such a family to be rich in its blessing and its understanding and its, and its action and its happiness. Only these folks linked with God also inherit some particularly gross nasty fruit growing on their family tree. Favoritism, bitterness, family secrecy, betrayal, When folks argue, we need to return to the good old family values of the Bible, I often wonder what parts exactly. (laughs) Remember how Abraham favored Isaac over Ishmael. Remember how Isaac chose Jacob over Esau. And now Jacob himself is showing favoritism to Joseph over the other brothers. Yes, Joseph was a surprise child in old age, but he wasn't the youngest. That would have been Benjamin. Joseph was a dreamer. That was a talent that resonated with his dad. Hard telling to know exactly why he was the favorite, but Jacob had no trouble showing it. It was evident as he listened to the young teenager's complaints against his older brothers, rather than insisting, Jacob, you need to find your place in your ancestral line here. But most notably, Jacob made his favor public in the gift of this costly robe, this long sleeved garment, fancy adorned in such a way it made Joseph look like a little prince. The brothers were looking at their Levi jeans and their Hanes tank tops, and then over at Joe's Gucci sport coat and accessories. And they thought maybe something here is not quite right. But the tension, it's not just wardrobe. This is not insignificant. Joseph's position in his family is precarious. As the second to youngest son, he could be expected to be last in things, attention, prestige, inheritance. He could be expected to be the helper in his family for the rest of his life. Power belonged to the older, the firstborn in particular who would be in the position to inherit the future role of the patriarch, responsible for taking care of the family, the economic well-being, the nurture of the marginalized, the enforcer of the law, the one who would inevitably decide who lives and dies and remains in the family. That's the firstborn, the older. The firstborn would, would be a mentee to the father, spend much time with the father, inevitably creating a close bond with the father but joseph he's clearly involved in matters that are way over his pay grade beyond his place at, be- at worst he's a, a little you know at best he's a little snitch but at worst he is prevailing against culture and tradition everyone knew your status was based first of all on your gender and then when you were born and he should have been way down in order of receiving any kind of perks or benefits and so when Joseph inherits a dream to his brothers a vision that confirms his elevated status over them oh boy their displeasure just rises up to real rage this kid has to be put in his place dad here Jacob he's about as a naive and oblivious as most of the sitcom dads you see out there that are just like I don't know what's going on in my family hey son why don't you go out and observe the shalom the well-being the peace of our brotherhood okay there isn't any and uh, we as the readers know this is not going to be a happy ending The fact that Joseph has to ask for directions to someone of where his brothers are pasturing the flock is a good key that they are off the grid. (laughs) They are beyond their dad's care and observation, which makes Joseph vulnerable and the mob ready to attack. Let's kill him, say the brothers. You know, that's one drastic way to deal with family anger, (laughs) albeit an extreme one. Uh, death would ensure that he did not usurp their power Um, they could in that moment demonstrate they control they're the ruling force not him but remember in this this pre-modern agrarian setting family meant everything not your church not your country not your political party not your school allegiance brotherhood That's what stood crucial in life. These boys' experience and existence was woven together from cradle until the grave. But this threat of a deviant one, they were willing to cut down, tear from the earth, void his claim of sanctity of life because he was breaking with code. In surprising fashion, it's the oldest. It's Reuben who breaks up the animosity, suggests something a little less gory, how about we mock, abuse, and abandon him instead? That's that's progress, (laughs) I guess, if we choose shame and mental traumatization and physical domination as progress, but that's their plan. Crush his spirit, strip him of his robe, instigate physical abuse, throw him in a well, and then sell him to a bunch of traveling foreign nomadic people. But they had done the right thing, of course. I mean, it was good. They didn't have blood on their hands, but he had to be removed. I mean, he was a threat to the order of their tribe, right? I mean, what might become of them if they allowed this kind of subversion to happen, this subversion to the way of law? They stood for tradition. They exerted their natural superiority. They were setting it right. If someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. We must purge evil from among you. Well, that's from Deuteronomy, though, right? God hadn't given them the law, so they weren't supposed to know that yet, of course. Maybe you followed this story through. Have you read it before? You know where Joseph ends up. It has a happy ending, forgiveness, reconciliation, a heartwarming reunion with dad. God proves faithful. God's orchestrating a grand plan. But I'm going to insist that you stay in the moment with this story. When the traders passed by, they drew him up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him. That's where it ends. Pretend like you haven't seen the sequel yet. Struggle with that reality. In this family, there is a disposable family member. What forces can possibly move us to believe another's life is not worth keeping? Can we possibly end another person? Fear, writes Karl Barth, the anticipation of supposedly certain defeat. There's so much we come to fear so much we suppose will defeat us that life becomes an exercise in securing ourselves against our insecurities. Yes, Alison Abrams, writing for Psychology Today, agrees. Fear of the other, defined for our love for an in-group, that is the group that provides safety, up and against our aggression towards the out-group, that other group that's dangerous, that's different, that's a threat. Theologian Marissa Voff says, We exclude because we are fearful of anything that, quote, blurs our boundaries, disturbs our identities, and disarranges our symbolic cultural maps. We strike others because they are out of place. They are like dirt on a clean floor that must be removed in order to return the decency to the world. There's also, though, fear of ourselves in hatred. You know, often the things we hate in others is because of that in which we are afraid within us. I may be insecure in my decision-making, so it's much easier for me to say, you're stupid. It's my idea of saying, you're terrible, not me. Abrams also says that hatred fills a void. When we are involved in a certain group that hates together, we feel a sense of connection and camaraderie where maybe we did not before. And hatred becomes a way of distracting us from really the challenging work of discovering who we really are, the void that's caused by our own hopelessness or inadequacy or shame. At its most basic, hate is grounded in some form of perceived threat, causing inner pain. The only way to regain some sense of resolve from this pain is to preemptively strike. C.S. Lewis calls it the compensation by which a frightened man reimburses himself from the miseries of fear. The more we fear, the more we hate, and each moment of hate is a temporary relief from that inner suffering, which sounds right on to the story of these brothers, these brothers that have been caused this pain within them, petty jealousy, which is leading to a sense of loss of their privilege now that it's game time fraternal loyalty brotherhood falls to the wayside in order to protect their place and relieve that pain you know throughout this narrative we've been talking about family biological family blood kin and listening maybe that's where you've placed yourself you are resonating at the level of a daughter and her mother or two brothers, or a husband and spouse, there's fear, there's brokenness surrounding these intimate relationships that have defined you. Maybe you're feeling like pressures are coercing you to perpetuate harm where there should be love, and that's a valuable place to think about today. But I can't help see this story with a wider lens, revisiting the faces of Folks like Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Perry, Aubrey, or George Floyd, believing there are disposable members within our human family. History in textbooks and in our current newspaper would say, we approve, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, in 2017, there are 917 organized hate groups in the United States, Inheritance adherents willing to risk of themselves to perpetuate that philosophy there are disposable family members the story will not leave us today without asking where in god's global family of humanity do i denigrate subjugate others to maintain my place of position my privilege in this family Whom am I willing to push down or push away because I'm afraid of how my life might change if their perceptions were heard and understood, honored, or allowed. God's later rescue of Joseph demonstrates divine justice. However, the sovereignty of God's liberation does not release us from moral responsibility. The responsibility to hold up the sanctity of life. The blessedness of each person made in the image of God. As far as we can see at the end of this story today, with Joseph, he's suffering, there's no justice in sight, and the question is who will object and who will act? Facing the fear of being vulnerable, utterly human that is what allows us to connect and feel and love others it's inevitably about create creating cracks creating cracks in the system that perpetuate hate whether that crack is as simple as connecting with a neighbor talking with a friend learning something new starting a protest going away from a home base to meet another Overcoming the cycle of confusion and suspicion and aggression and moving into a new rhythm, that is, attention and education and compassion and activism. Several years ago, Tony Campolo had the opportunity to eat breakfast with, have conversation with 25 survivors of Auschwitz. They had had a, a great time together, and as he was asking them, he said, after what you've been through at the hands of the Nazis, what kind of feelings, emotions come over you when you hear someone speak with a German accent? And one of the men answered, I was just a boy when they put me and my family into a cattle car in a city in France and started us on a long journey towards the concentration camp. We had no water, we had no food, but each night the train would stop and sit still for a few hours, and time would pass, and there would be a sprinkling, just a few German people who would come out of the woods, sneak out in the dark, and push in between the slats of the cars pieces of bread, cups of water. Their generosity kept us alive. What they did was at great risk, undermining great powers. So whenever I hear someone with a German accent, I could remember those of hate, and I could hate. But instead, I say to myself, could that voice I hear be a child or a grandchild of the one who dared to step in in my time of need? Friends, we come often each week to church to commit to our faith to commit our brokenness to God and ask Christ to step in and heal and restore. We call it a moment of conversion. When we do so, though, we not only commit to placing our trust in God's saving grace, we also commit to loving the things that God loves, and that God so loved the world that it would not perish but have life. I invite you to pray with me in our renewal of our commitment in stating that there are no disposable members of our family. Gracious and loving and almighty God, we thank you for your blessing. We we are so thankful for the love that you exhibit to us that even when we are at our, our weakest and our worst, you reclaim us. You tell us that we continue to be cherished to you, that we are beloved, that within us are the sparks of your own very nature, God. Indeed you have no place for sin. You heal us of those iniquities. Upon the cross you set us free. You set us free into a life, into a calling which is to build this type of place, this type of world modeled after your heavenly design. In such a design as the cherishing of one another, the learning of perspectives from each other, of hearing each other's voices. Lord God, we come again today to recommit our love for you. Save us from our sin, Lord. Make, with a, make us a new creation, put me right, Lord. Make me to see you as the priority. Make me to see your work, your initiative as my priority. And in doing so, help me to see the beauty in all those around me, even those which cause me great trouble, great stress, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, it is possible to overcome, to listen anew, to put hatred aside, to seek your guiding light. Today, Lord God, I commit, we commit, to loving you with our whole heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. We pray, Lord God, you would be active in the lives of, of those who are so important to us. Lord God, we know that you have healing strength, continue to bring healing into the lives of Mary Stahlhut and Sue Hudson, recovering from surgery, for Phyllis Austin on her recovery journey, for Pete and Martha Morris and their battle against challenging diagnoses. We pray, Lord God, that you would surround Susan in her season of grief at the loss of her cousin, David. We pray over the preschool center staff as they resume services tomorrow. You've healed them, Lord. You've brought them into a place all of them are, are positive, uh, or all of them are positive and healing, no more COVID amongst the staff. We pray, Lord God, that you would renew them in their and their strength, their courage to impact the children that attend here. And we pray, Lord God, over those names that we know personally but we're not expressing publicly that need you that need to know the depths of your care the extent by which you will go to rescue reaffirm us lord god that our prayers for them will be answered we thank you lord god for your constant faithfulness Be with us as we live into our new commitment that none of your children would be disposable within our family. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. Lyrics of a song that met my attention just this Friday. I thought I might play the little tune for you, but I wasn't quite sure how our social media friends would like us playing that song. So... A few words as I close from those lyrics. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe we don't agree. But maybe that doesn't mean we gotta be enemies. Maybe we just get brave, take a big leap of faith, call a truce so me and you can find a better way. Perhaps take some time to open our eyes and look and listen. We're gonna find we're more alike than we're different when did kindness become so revolutionary when did hatred become so ordinary turn it around flip the script judge slow and love quick god help us to become revolutionary in our families thanks be to god amen
4: this time of offering i would uh invite you all to stand and offer yourselves and your voices as we reaffirm our calling to God. Please stand and join us in this song.
3: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring to you our gifts and offerings. We ask that you bless them, multiply them, give us guidance and direction as to how those can best be used. In thy name we pray. Amen.
4: Please join us in the name of compassion. Help us accept each other.
2: Indeed, today might be the day to reach out to a family member, to a sibling, to a child, um, to say, I love you, I'm sorry if I've wronged you, at least I've never sold you into slavery, you might say to them. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) yet. (laughs) Seek to renew those relationships with your family, with all of our family, our church family, your neighborhood family, our community family. Go forth loving as God has loved you. Amen.